right, everybody. Welcome to the Beef and Bitcoin podcast. This is episode six uh, with your host, Brett and CH. And today's topic is proof of keys. Bitcoin's 10th birthday on January 3rd, 2019. Uh, this is a special episode because it is celebrating Bitcoin's birthday and because everyone is uh, declaring their monetary sovereignty, which is the, the entire point of Bitcoin. But uh, before we get started, man, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of crazy stuff going on right now in the world of uh, crypto. And I know this episode specifically is proof of keys, but um, it's definitely exciting, you know, and just to start off, I mean, obviously proof of keys, just the whole idea behind it is to remove Bitcoin basically, or any crypto in general, really, um, from these centralized organizations like exchanges, gambling sites, etc. I was listening to a really good podcast episode from the Bitcoin News Show from uh, Vortex, episode 97, and we'll uh, link to that in the show notes. But this episode was specifically about proof of keys, and they had a number of really good guests on there. Hass McCook had a lot of really good comments on that episode about proof of keys, how he was saying that, you know, Bitcoin is like a, a digital second amendment. You know, it, it's your right to hold your Bitcoin and hold your keys. And that's exactly why you would want to withdraw your Bitcoin from the exchange and, and uh, take control of your financial sovereignty. And he made a good example about, you know, if you live in the United States, you, you uh, have access to the second amendment. Why would you leave your guns at the gun range when you can keep them at home? And that's kind of the same thing with Bitcoin. So if you can hold your keys, if you have the right to hold your keys, why on earth would you leave them on an exchange? You, you wouldn't want to do that. You want to take control of your Bitcoin and take control of your private keys. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, and you, you don't think it'll happen to you until it happens. Um, and a great example is one broker. A lot of people were on one broker that were Americans. And the whole thing with one broker was people had Bitcoin on there. And some people had a lot of Bitcoin. Um, and one broker was just one day just shut down by the FBI and the SEC after the indictment on them. And thankfully, throughout the whole process, one burger did a great job of returning funds to its customers. But, you know, if you weren't able to pull out right away when you found out it happened, you had to wait, you know, four to five days to get your Bitcoin back, which is kind of nerve wracking because the whole time you're thinking, well, the FBI just seized, you know, the website, the web page. But uh, thankfully, they were able to work it out. But, you know, you never know. Uh, and that's why, you know, I've obviously used trading sites before. And when you're storing crypto on there, you know, you're always kind of second guessing yourself. And even if you have 2FA, you're still at the risk of the exchange itself. It's just one of those things to keep uh, food for thought. Another thing is same kind of concept. Don't store all your eggs in the same basket. I wouldn't, if you, if you have, don't put all your crypto net worth on the same fucking exchange. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember when, you know, friends of mine were getting me into Bitcoin in 2017. They were always talking about not leaving your coins on the exchange, but it didn't really make sense to me at first. But then when you realize that if somebody steals that and takes that, that's it. Like there is no, there is no getting it back. And uh, you kind of need to think differently about how Bitcoin works and why it's important to want to hold your private keys. And I know that that can be super stressful. Private key management, 
is not fun. It's not easy. There are a few different solutions out there. You have paper wallets, you have hardware wallets, you have multi-sig, you have, you know, deep cold storage from service providers like Zappo. And I have a feeling that will get easier in the future, but you know, make no mistake, not losing your Bitcoin is a difficult task. Like you need to really work at it. Full transparency, I did not participate in proof of keys because I don't leave my Bitcoin on the exchange ever. <laughs> I uh, That was something that I learned from day one and I've really tried to stick to it. So if you still have Bitcoin on the exchange, you should do your best to take it off. If you ha- need help with that, you know, let us know. We're happy to help you out. But uh, it's really important to understand that if you leave your coins on the exchange, you could get wrecked if the exchange gets hacked, if the SEC decides to pull the plug on the exchange like they did with one broker. People don't really think about that kind of stuff, and it's it's super scary. What about that guy we were talking about a couple weeks ago who had uh, you know millions of dollars on his phone on Coinbase and his, his cell phone got ported and they drained, they drained his wallets. I mean, that can happen at any time. So it's definitely best practice to not leave your shit on the exchange. Exactly. No, you couldn't have said it better. Um, and I think we didn't mention this earlier, but the real birthday of Bitcoin was two days ago. Well, we're recording on the 5th right now, but January 3rd of 2009. So Bitcoin is a decade old. And I'm going to be very, and I know we discussed this on previous podcasts, but a decade old, it's pretty impressive. And thinking the euro itself, I think, is not even 20 years old now. Um, it'd be interesting to see if does Bitcoin outlast the euro. We're seeing a lot of issues in um, the EU right now itself, you know, and we're not going to cover that in this podcast, but just a food for thought. You know, will the euro get outlasted by Bitcoin? I think it will. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I, I think we've talked about this before. The average lifespan of a fiat currency is, I, I think it's between 30 and 50 years, something like that. It's its its short. It's not a long time. And I can't believe that Bitcoin's 10 years old already. And it, you know, 99.87% uptime, which is Incredible. better than any, any financial services industry. Uh, it's better than Amazon Web Services. I mean, you want to talk about something that doesn't go down it's it's bitcoin exactly and so here's a good thought i think about our, our financial system at least in the u.s right now is pretty um you know old it's a legacy system like banking transactions whether you're doing ach wire wire transfer you can only do you know what is it 8 a.m to 4 5 p.m you know eastern standard time so that you know depending on where you are in the u.s that just but like so you got to think, so between, you know, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 8 a.m. the next day, banking is down. You can't transfer money. Same, How you know, crazy and then the weekend. is that? Yeah, and think about the weekend, too. I remember in 2017, this is a true story, on a Friday in the early afternoon, I drove to the bank to send a wire to the exchange, uh, and I was hoping that it would get there, you know, by Friday afternoon. Turns out when I got there that, on Fridays, you need to send your wires before lunch, or they will not make it to the uh, to the destination. Yeah. And it also turns out that the following Monday was a holiday, so I couldn't get any money onto the exchange on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, and it didn't get there until Tuesday. 
And uh, that was that was when the light bulb really went off for me, where I was like, I don't understand. This is my money. I want to be able to send it wherever I want without permission. And it turns out, you know, there's a solution to that problem. It's Bitcoin. But that one moment of not being able to exercise my monetary sovereignty and <laughs> send money to the exchange really pissed me off. But that light bulb went off for me. And at that very moment, I knew why Bitcoin was just so powerful because it's my money and I should be able to do with it whatever I want. Exactly. That's the um, it's 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 really is crazy um, how I really noticed this in the past year when, you know, I used Bitcoin before uh, a lot more, obviously, in the past year and a half of my life and just using it all the time, whether it's 3 a.m. on Saturday or it's noon on Monday, I'm able to move it around, send it anywhere and leverage it at any time, which is, it's very interesting. That's um, pretty cool. It's, it's as simple to put it is it's very cool. Um, and basically what it's doing is we're just having, it's a technology that's just literally, it's just outdoing the legacy technology, which is the banking system. That's as simple as that. You know, where it goes from here, I couldn't tell you, but the amount of innovation, even in the past year and a half, I've been following Bitcoin like closely, has been quite incredible. Um, and I think in a few years from now, we're going to look back and see how far we've came. And I think that with the growth of the internet, when the internet first started, you couldn't, you, you know, emails would take hours to send. Eventually, sending pictures, attachments over email was a big deal. People were worried the internet was going to run out of space. The internet didn't run out of space. Then you had YouTube come along. People were worried, shit, too many cat videos. The internet hasn't run out of space. So it's kind of the same concept with Bitcoin. It's an ever-growing, ever-changing you know, system. Um, it's continually being worked on, continually being upgraded. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I uh, the fact that pr I hope we continue with proof of keys. You know, Trace Mayer did a great job coming up with this, and it is making it a part of the Bitcoin culture. To every year on January third, starting this year, we're going to claim our keys. Uh, and if you're the type of person who leaves your Bitcoin on the exchange for a little longer than you should, that's all right. You know, now's the time. Prepare for battle. Know how to withdraw your Bitcoin from the exchange. Know what your withdrawal limit is. Maybe it's only half a Bitcoin and you have two Bitcoin on there and you can only withdraw half a Bitcoin at a time. That sucks. You need to be able to get everything off of the exchange within a matter of minutes if something goes down, if there's a hack or whatever. You need to be able to exercise that monetary sovereignty. Exactly. I was going to say... Um... The, knowing how to move your money around is a big deal. Um, and a lot of people who are kind of dabbling in crypto or just bought Bitcoin or Litecoin or something like that on Coinbase have zero clue what a private key is, have zero clue how to you know withdraw, deposit their crypto. I had a buddy who, you know, he had Ripple and he, had, he was completely at a loss of what to do with it, you know, how to move it around the exchange. He's like, yeah, not going to do it because he was trying to sell it at one point. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, you know, I could help you, but it's like, you got to know how to do this yourself. Um, so it, if you are a noob in crypto per se, and you have no idea how to move your Bitcoin around, test out with a few Satoshis, move it around, figure out how to send it to your cold, your hardware wallet or your paper wallet and how to send it back and just understand the mechanics of it. Like I still sweat my balls off when I'm sending, you know, Bitcoin around to crypto. It's still scary. You're like, I'm just sending it. And if I have the wrong address, I am in deep shit. So when you're sending Bitcoin, always check the first three, or crypto in general, the first three and the last three letters of the uh, transaction ID or address, excuse me. 
and that will um, you know allow you. I usually check the whole thing, but the first three and last three work, and that makes sure you copy and paste to the right key or the right address because if you there are trojans or viruses out there that you know if you're copy and pasting your Bitcoin address, it will really paste their Bitcoin address. So basically, you just send people Bitcoin, and you're not getting it back. So be careful. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've i been playing around with Wasabi Wallet for the last couple of weeks, making my Bitcoin more fungible. And it was it was scary sending it to Wasabi Wallet for the first time. It was a new wallet that I've never used before. Uh, I try to do my best not to move Bitcoin around too much, just so I don't pay too much in transaction fees. But I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. And it was uh, got me excited again about Bitcoin and and sending stuff to the wallet and using the mixture and learning about CoinJoin and now looking up the the hardware nodes that are coming out. But I couldn't do any of that if I didn't know how to send Bitcoin from one address to the next and copying and pasting that address and reading it 65 times to make sure all the characters match is nerve wracking. Uh, I'll never forget sending my <laughs> my my doing my first transaction. It's super scary, and it, I still get anxiety every time I hit the confirm button on my Trezor. But every single time it works. I've never had an issue, and uh, I can't imagine how much easier it's going to be to send Bitcoin to a friend or pay for something in the future. It's it's going to be as easy as using Venmo or as easy as using the Cash App. Uh, I don't know if everyone's going to be running a node at their house. I hope that they do, but you know we'll have to wait and see and see how that plays out. But it's uh, it's getting better and it's getting easier. Yeah, exactly. No, it's um as I stated earlier, uh, when you first had to send emails, you had to know how to code. So think about how far we've come from that. Um, and now emails in everyone's lives. So, you know, it, yeah, and, we are advancing along slowly but surely. Yeah, and to you know, to to talk about that for a second, you know, there's there's people that I work with who still have trouble using the internet or Outlook or sending emails, and it's never been easier. So I can't imagine how difficult it was to send an email. You know, 20 years ago, I'm sure it was difficult setting up modems and routers and getting connected to the web uh i wish i would have been doing that at the time i think i might have been a little too young but look at how far we've come where you can have um a four-year-old on a phone sending emails and figure it out and an 84 year old with a phone sending emails and figuring it out on their own we've just come so far and when you think about that in the grand scheme of things, Bitcoin's only 10 years old. We are just scratching the surface of how all of this shit is going to work. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. As you said, um, you, you think about smartphones, even that, like the iPhone itself um, or, you know, Samsung, whatever, you, Android, how far they've came in the past decade. You know, you go now it's 2019, but 10 years ago, smartphones were nothing. And, you know, the iPhone was something to be laughed about more compared to the BlackBerry. I mean. Ten years ago now is when they were kind of transitioning, and by the time the iPhone 5 came out, that kind of blew everything out of the water. Um, you know, we're we're moving along at a fast pace, and like we always like to say, and I've talked to other people in crypto about this. You know, are we early? Are you not early? We're we're not early at all. Like um, one of the greatest things I learned early on in crypto, when I, I the first um, kind of was it convention or whatever. I wasn't really a convention. It was like a crypto night. I went to it was kind of more of a private event and 
who was in LA and I one of the guys like probably one of the smartest people I've ever met to be honest he um name is Chris Hughes but he mentioned you know when he was talking to a bunch of us uh, I think this is either before or after when I'm, he was one of the last speakers he talked about you guys think you're early and this was in August 2017 he's like you're not early early was four years ago five years ago you know no you're not early he's like this is you know people have been you know mining Bitcoin for seven or eight years before you you were not early and he, he really reinforced that and, um, it was something good perspective because at the time and then I know CH can speak of this at the time we were in full ICO um, madness and crypto was just going parabolic and every coin every shit coin was pumping it didn't it didn't really matter what you owned but this was you know one of those times so it is some good perspective I think we still are early in, a, in the grand scheme of things in the long-term macro perspective we are still early you look at the internet even people who really didn't fiddle around with the internet much until maybe early 2000s good, good examples Mark Zuckerberg Facebook and had already been around for a decade at that point but they're building another layer on top of it which ended up being Facebook so as you see um, er, yes are we early in the grand scheme of things yeah are we early in the we're not I'm not early I know I'm not early I've only been in this crypto really heavily for the past year and a half a little more than that so I know I'm by no means not early definitely I mean it's I can't imagine how much easier it's going to be to onboard a new user in 2020 or this year compared to how difficult it was for me in 2017 or how difficult it was for somebody else in 2013. Um, that whole onboarding process is going to be much smoother. And I'm really excited to see what that onboarding process looks like, because if I had to guess, I'm not sure if everyone's going to be using something like Coinbase or, or, or Robinhood to, uh, to buy their Bitcoin. I think a lot has to change with that. But uh, I definitely foresee more Bitcoin ATMs popping up. I definitely think uh, the Cash App is now the most downloaded app uh, um, in the same category as Venmo. So it surpasses Venmo. And they are a Bitcoin-only company, so you can keep your you know, your cash on there and buy Bitcoin. So I think apps like that will, um, I think that's, it's like a, it's a strategy. Being a Bitcoin company now is like a strategy. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's a it's long, a, it's a long be, game. Yeah. It's a long game. Like it, it could be a competitive advantage. So imagine let's fast forward 10 years from now and you're fucking square and you've only allowed people to buy Bitcoin on square for the last decade. Uh, that's wild. That's crazy. How, um, in hindsight, that could look like one of the most brilliant moves that's ever happened. And if you go to any small business, chances are you have used Square as a point of sale system. Oh yeah. And that integration with uh, with Bitcoin, I think, could be. That's where Bitcoin's going to look like like it just works like magic, right? right? All your accounting is done automatically. The point of sale is so easy. You're scanning a QR code. Uh, it, it's going to be a magical time for sure. But having Bitcoin integration at that point of sale device could turn out to be one of the most brilliant things that we've ever seen. Yeah, it's um, also sorry to interrupt you and a little sidetrack here. Ethereum's up like 92% over the past three weeks. So I had to say it. <laughs> 
That's wild. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I did notice that. That's um, it's just it's it, pumping for sure. I just I know it's a little off topic from the proof of keys thing. Um, don't try to short irrational pumps if you're if you're a trader. I don't know if there's anyone that trades at all that listens to us. You just don't try to do that. Like if you're gonna short Ethereum now, if you've been in crypto for more than a year. And or yeah, even that. If you've been in crypto for more than a year and you're gonna short Ethereum now, yeah, don't. <laughs> this might be a. It could be a pretty big dead cat bounce for all we know. Um, it is pretty crazy though. If Bitcoin gets anywhere near six thousand, I think it'll be pretty. Uh, I know that's a still low, relative, you know, to its past. But I think anywhere near six thousand, if we start a like the way we came down, I just think. You know the way it ripped open the MACD, that we could cut cross back over pretty hard, and thus pump. So yeah, there's my uh, very specific technical analysis. Um, yeah. So yeah, Executive Order 6102, and this was something else they covered in the podcast we mentioned earlier, um, was something federal or FDR Roosevelt put in to use, and basically what it did was made holding gold illegal, whether it was in bullion, coins, etc., holding gold illegal. Um, and what it did was it allowed the Federal Reserve, because the Federal Reserve knew it had an issue. They wanted to print more money, but they didn't have that quantity of gold to match it. I think at the time it was, when they required people to turn in the gold, it was, uh, I think, $20 an ounce. And I could be wrong, so I might want to correct him on that. But it was $20 an ounce. And so people had to turn it in, like, by May 5th or 1st, of 1933 well when they reopened the gold window and or when they you know when gold got its fixed price to the u.s dollar in 1934 uh early 1934 about six to seven months later it was priced at guess what 35 dollars an ounce so the federal government made basically a 75 percent return in the matter of six months on billions of dollars worth of gold and that's billions of dollars worth of gold then in 1933 money so it's it was definitely by far one of the biggest scams of the american people and here again is a great example of where men with guns and government come and give you two options take you away to jail or forfeit over your assets it's as simple as that and that's how the whole thing of big government works um and i think ch and i are both pretty libertarian you know i fall more conservative but i'm I would consider myself a libertarian, but how does how do how does government force people to pay taxes? You don't pay taxes. Men with guns come to your house and you a either pay and pay more, or you go to jail. Um, and it's crazy that and I know you know people say things. Oh, you should you know we should have to pay taxes. Why the hell are we paying taxes into a system where our our governments we're 22 trillion dollars in debt, and that doesn't include unfind, unfunded liabilities, which last I checked was 68 trillion. That is such an astronomical number, you can't even count that. It's not even fathomable. And that's what, you know, drives me nuts is here we are, we're paying money into a broken system. And by broken system, I mean uh, Social Security. That runs out of funding in 2034. Why is anyone paying taxes for it? It doesn't make any sense. It's a broken system. When Social Security was first uh, came out, the, the average male life expectancy was 61. So you don't receive Social Security until you're 65. So it made sense, and I believe it was came out in I think the mid to late 30s. I can't remember the exact date, but you see how 
messed up that system is and it wasn't meant for long term you know it was it worked because the government was able to print money then and you're able to continue to kick the can down the road as i've mentioned in the past and that's the same thing that happened in 2008 we kicked the can down the road and now here we are in 2019 and the federal reserve is having meetings over a you know 17 percent drop in the stock market so it just shows you how sensitive we are now to everything yeah, I mean, I definitely align with you there uh, politically. I consider myself much more of a libertarian. Um, I don't like to affiliate with, with any particular political party because, well, two mainstream political parties because I think both sides are a little bit more bullshit. And I prefer the non-aggression factor of libertarianism to anything else. But uh, with that being said, I didn't even think about that until Bitcoin came around. None of that even mattered to me. I was, yeah, I mean, full transparency. I was a registered Democrat prior and I didn't, I didn't know any better. I didn't think anything of it. Social security sounded great. Um, welfare sounded great. All of those, um, big agendas sounded a okay to me. And it didn't, uh, I didn't understand the economics behind it and why it, it doesn't work. And it's funny because Bitcoin is such an interesting tool that you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You can't change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin most certainly can change you. And yes. uh, I, owe, I, I owe a lot to Bitcoin because of that. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist if Bitcoin didn't, you know, hit me so personally, right? Uh, we wouldn't be talking about any of this shit. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And it's funny because, you know, Bitcoin's a, a solution. You You can't fund these things that don't work unless you have a money that you can control. So if you take the money, the, uh, the monopoly over money away from the state, if you take that away, uh, everything kind of falls apart. All of the malinvestment starts going away and we'll come back to this, you know, equilibrium. So that's what makes me, uh, more optimistic than pessimistic. I'd say a year ago, I was definitely pessimistic on the, the macro outlook of just society in general. And now I'm much more positive that we can kind of get through this. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I was so ignorant of certain things like monetary history, um, how money affects us, and other things before I dove into Bitcoin. I was so ignorant of all that. And not that I, I'm, I'm a history nerd, not whatever you want to say. So I have a good understanding of history and what happened and, you know, what events, you know, have been fabricated by, you know, governments. Because, you know, there's a great line, Vic, the victors write history, and that's 100% true. Um, if you really do in-depth, you know, research, especially of the 20th century, uh, where, where so much has happened, where you think of World War One, the creation of central banks, World War Two, the Cold War, Vietnam, Afghanistan, you name it. There's so many things that happen in the 20th century that affect everything we do today. World War One affects everything we do today. Why? Because it completely changed society. Society went from where government played a very limited role. In that, and I'm talking globally. I'm not just talking about America. I'm not talking about England. I'm talking globally. When you look at European states, look at America, um, and how much they changed after World War One. Why? World War One was scary. 18 million people wiped off the face of the earth in four years in a, the bloodiest conflict ever seen by man. Um, the, the atrocities of that war are insane. Gas, artillery shells, uh, you know, machine guns, it's just brutal. Um, and so he, that affected the way people, you know, viewed 
the outside world and it allowed big government to move in and basically you know america passed the espionage act during the time and so basically anyone who said anything against america or like the house on american activities stuff like that why because they want to keep people scared you know you need big government to keep you safe i if if you had to ask me if the u.s was a social state you know I would 100% agree, and it, it, was, it couldn't be more glaringly obvious than what we covered earlier with Executive Order 6102. The government forced people to hand over their, over their hard money to trade it for soft money. It's as simple as that. The American people got screwed, so other people didn't. Um, no, yeah, uh, that was that's such a good comment, because a lot of people try to tell me capitalism is bad, and, you know, here in the United States, we... Uh, it's a capitalist country. It most certainly is not. What we have today is, I, I guess the correct term might be crony capitalism. It is a, a system where, for instance, Amazon, there was a big deal about Amazon's new headquarters, HQ2, where are they going to go? And everyone was begging Amazon to come. Oh, we'll give you tax benefits. So here's Amazon, a company that was recently valued at a trillion dollars as of three months ago or so, getting a fat tax break well, the mom and pop store down the street doesn't get a tax break. So that's where they talk about crony capitalism is, okay, so this company's, now they're going to have extra profit. Amazon's not going to have to pay $15 million in taxes, you know, for their property or whatever, whereas the, the, the business across the street has to. And so you get these, you know, larger corporations that get advantages and they, you know, they have more push and they, you know, they can push things around in government. Um, correct term would be lobbying. You know, and we see it so much with pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's 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 glaring as day. I mean, you know, when you take a step back and, and here's another red pill, and you really look at things, and you, you turn on TV and see how many pharmaceutical drug ads there are, and then you see you know how much effects you know opioids have on American people, and how many people die from pharmaceutical drugs every day in the U.S. And yet we have TVs blasting at us pharmaceutical drug commercials all day long. Um, it's in and billboards, you name it. But um, yeah, when you take a step back and look at it, you know, with out your bias, like wow, it's pretty uh, sad how far we've gotten. And so yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's yeah, these are the these, this isn't a free market by any stretch of the imagination. And if you think that it is, then you need to reevaluate what's actually going on here. You wouldn't have rent-seeking behavior. You wouldn't have middlemen and third parties uh you know managing every single transaction that you go through in your existence it, it, it wouldn't be like that um you would voluntarily interact with the person or party or business that you want to interact with period and nobody would insert themselves into the middle of that transaction and um, charge you for it right exactly um and your, your middleman point's perfect. You know, um, wires aren't easy, and especially when you talk about international wires. And I've probably mentioned before, I've only done a handful, but the first international wire I did was to a crypto exchange um, when I first got into crypto. And I was sending money, and it was a – I sent it. I, had, I put everything in properly, but my the bank I used said, oh, you need to change this. And it wouldn't let me send without changing that. So I changed it, sent the money. A few days later, I get an email from the exchange saying we can't accept it unless you, you know, tell your bank to change the memo or something like that. And I'm like, motherfucker, 
I, I had everything put in properly. The bank made me change it. Now my money's tied up. And so, you know, the whole process took like, you know, it took me like a week and a half to get my money back. You know, and it was just like, Jesus, you know, and um, so and then I started using credit card and debit card because I'm a dumbass. And you'll realize really quickly, don't use credit cards or debit cards for buying crypto because you just get hit with hard, you get hit with high fees. Um, wiring, ACH is always the best way to do it. I always do same day wire for the most part. Um, it's obviously cheaper to do over longer intervals, but that's just how I do it. Yeah, I hear you. I typically like to uh, like to use wire transfer or ACH just because it's cheaper. But I've I've also kind of been getting into the uh, the ATM machines. You know, you just mm -hmm. bring your QR code on your phone, scan it, put your cash in, and away you go. Uh, the fees are not fun, but I think it's worth the price of anonymity and fungibility. Yeah. So I, uh, I, you know, to me, that's worth it. I think I want to also take a look at BISC, which is a decentralized exchange. It's a, you know, an application that you run on your computer and you can perform transactions uh, and, you know, trading that way. So that's something else that everybody can look into. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, as you said, it's just it's easier, and uh, you know something with history and money is when you look at history and look at dictatorships, and especially the 20th century is a perfect example. We see the rise of dictators when there is a lack of hard money, where people have, you know, there's a lot of fear in the people, there's no economic prosperity, and so they'll they'll do anything for economic prosperity. And a great example, uh, we might have covered this before in the past, is the rise of Hitler. Uh, if you know anything about World War One, Germany got totally fucked. Pardon my language, but that's what happened. Germany was basically t took the full blame for World War One, and um, the reasons for this was, if you do any history research, just a brief background. World War One didn't just happen because Archduke of France was assassinated. This was a long build up to World. There's a long build up to World War One, and basically it's simple as this: Anglo powers, basically England. The British Empire was afraid of losing, you know, its hegemony to Germany. So, at the end of the war, Germany got screwed. Well, Germany went through a very severe hyperinflation in 1921, 20, 22, and 23, and basically the currency became worthless. You know, people carting around wheelbarrows full of uh, Deutschmarks that were worthless, were paper marks, and what happens with that is you get as i said earlier economic prosperity people lose hope when they lose hope they reach for far extreme politicians to solve their issues well in tw what happened in the 20s was the roaring 20s so hitler started his reign and the nazi and his, his whole idea of his party around and he started his like first speech and i think in nuremberg um and he started there and originally got arrested and that's when he wrote Mein Kampf. He wrote Mein Kampf well in 1924 while he was in jail. And at this time, Germany started to prosper along with the rest of the world. We had the roaring 20s. Central banks were printing off money, more money, in the, you know, more adding more money in the supply. Well, inflation doesn't hit yet. And thus, when you have 1929, you have the crash and that's when Hitler's rise came. Germany was devastated again and this is twice within, you know, a decade. Um, and his rise was only able to happen because Germany got screwed over, the currency hyperinflated, and that's why. You know. And then in 33, he was elected after the um, Kaiser died. 
Um, so it's when you and you can there's other examples of this you look at any dictatorships um and it just it happens because there's people are willing to give up their freedom for safety which in turn has proven terrible obviously when you look at the soviet union you look at china you look at uh venezuela obviously germany we've mentioned you look at eastern bloc countries during the cold war um you see people lose freedom for the hope or idea of safety which turns out to be no safety because you have a government spying on you and yeah that's as simple as that um that's that's such a good point and that ties in with something that i heard on that proof of keys podcast about you know giving up your freedom for that um assumption of that you have more security right that you're safer that you know someone's going to take care of you so you're willing to give up freedom and now with Bitcoin, you can buy that freedom back. You can buy your monetary sovereignty. And that's never really been possible before, except for during the time of the gold standard where you could choose to hold gold. But as we learned with that, uh, gold's very easily centralized. So somebody can come show up and say, hey, give me all your gold. And that's kind of the end of that conversation. But now you can buy that freedom with something that's digitally scarce. And it could be 50 cents a day. It could be $5 a week. It could be hundred bucks a month that you want to um, choose to be free that you can opt out and you know with Bitcoin's just a it's a big exit sign if you want to head to the door and look at over at that exit sign Bitcoin is right there waiting for you if you if you want to jump over that fence and it's uh, it's just amazing how much of our freedom we give up for the thought of safety uh, it's almost unbelievable and I was very much asleep to this notion until recently and uh it sucks <laughs> yeah um uh, it's it is quite incredible how far in a century how easily people you know lives were changed and i think we mentioned earlier in the episode how quickly you know people's lives and interactions with the state went from nothing to everything and now you know you can't do anything without government there's fees for everything there's a license for this and that um you know there's so many the average american breaks three you know had does three felonies a day doesn't even know it our statute code for laws is so big you know it's impossible to know what your law you're breaking exactly and that's one of the main reasons why i think uh that, that example right there, all the regulations, all the fees, all of the regulatory moats that are put around particular businesses is the exact definition of not having a free market. If you have a service that you can offer um, to someone for a price, but you can't because you need to pay thousands or millions of dollars in fees, licenses, and uh, lawyers to, to get your business off the ground, there's nothing free about that. That's not a free market whatsoever. I was talking to a, to a guy at a coffee shop who, uh, who imports Guatemalan coffee, organic, and he's like, yeah, I can't add that this coffee's organic because these plantations are so small, they can't pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars necessary to be certified organic, even though it's, it is, and it's grown very responsibly. So it's just another thing where if you think the markets are free, they're not at all. Oh yeah, no. We 
uh, every market's manipulated. That's, that's something I've mentioned before in previous podcasts. Every market's manipulated. Whether you look at the currencies or like uh, precious metals, excuse me, uh, currencies, I guess is forex, 100% manipulated. <laughs> like this week, the I know 2% doesn't seem like a big drop, but like I'm trying to figure out where I put it. Here it is. USD JPY pair dropped like 2% within minutes. And I, apparently Bank of Japan came in to save the day or something like that. But as you can see right here, that like that movement from 108 to 104 is huge. And that's a bunch of traders that either made a lot or lost a lot. Um, and you can see like that candle alone there, like that's like, so these are weekly bars. So literally in the span of minutes, a whole two months of gains just wiped away. Um, and then obviously stopped out there. Um, and so everything's manipulated. And we see with the stock market, the plunge protection team's been out buying assets, you know, to keep the market propped up, the U.S. equities market propped up. Now, it only works for so long. Manipulation can only last for so long. The free market will eventually prevail, whether it takes... 10 years, 100 years, you name it, it will prevail at some point. Uh, you can only, you know, manipulate and malinvest for so long before the whole system itself collapses. And that's what worries me right now. Yeah, same here. I mean, eventually we're going to come back to reality. And that's another one of the reasons why, you know, we do this podcast because um, so much is happening around us at the macro level that. I think this narrative is going to play out for the years to come and we're going to be sitting right smack dab in the middle of it and it's going to be so fun to watch it unfold. Oh yeah. It's uh you know, it's a it's a big deal. I mean, I don't think people realize a lot of people don't realize how big Bitcoin is in the sense that it's a completely new thing that we have no clue what it will be in 20 years from now. So, that's a uh, yeah, exactly. It's uh, I think now more than ever we have a a solution to the to the problem that fiat money has caused, um, and and it makes perfect sense to just take <laughs> take the money out of out of uh, control of government's hands and let the free markets do its thing. But with that being said, uh, you know we hope you guys enjoyed this episode talking about proof of keys. We got a lot of DMs uh, from everybody asking us you know what the hell does proof of keys mean what is this what is that how do i withdraw my coins from the exchange what's a hardware wallet and because we got so many questions we thought it would be good to do an episode about this so if you still have questions or need help moving your shit off of the exchange you know let one of us know reach out we're more than happy to help but uh be free you know opt out if you want to bitcoin's the exit sign Claim your private keys and secure your Bitcoin. Exactly. Claim those keys. Know how to send your money. That's right. All right, everybody. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.